So I think one of the things I've been struck by is just how exciting it is to think small, to think local, to think the person right in front of me, these types of things seems much closer to Jesus's vision of the kingdom spreading than some of what we've had in recent past. podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. Season 4. The Church is Dying, or is it? Hey everybody, welcome back to Taste and See. This is a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona, and I am Gray Ewing. I am the pastor of Ascension Church in the middle of Phoenix, and as always, joined by our main host, director, Ted. Yeah, well, it's good to be together. And um, wow, this has been quite a season. And I think this is episode nine, if we can count correctly. And we should say we're actually looking at each other rather than looking at a, at a guest this morning. Yeah. So as we record, we've been talking to guests and we wanted to end this season with a final conversation. So maybe tell us, Ted, what was on your heart, how you wanted to bring all this to a, to a close. Well, I thought we would just reflect on what we've noticed throughout these conversations. And I think we've said it before, for us, part of the fun is getting to have these conversations with people that we're really interested in talking to. So hopefully, listeners, you're gaining something from all this. I know we definitely have. So that was my thought was, let's just kind of go back and forth. What, what did we learn? What stuck with us? What seemed significant? Um, what surprised us, and uh, just kind of see where the conversation goes. I almost think that the microphone is an incidental <laughs> to this. I'm so glad that you're all listening in, but in a way, selfishly, it's been wonderful to talk to all these great guests uh, this season and for us to have an excuse, you know, once a month or once every month and a half or so to, uh, to be able to schedule in something and say, hey, we've got to do this because we've got to get another podcast out and then and what, we got to eat something, right? We got that's that's our whole thing. I mean, we got to do it. So right. yeah. we're kind of forced to do good and beautiful things, which I think has its own kind of beauty. Right. So I know there's times where I think about do we do we keep doing this podcast? And I think, well, I want to hang out with Gray. So that usually answers the question for me. Do I want to talk to interesting people? Do I want to eat food? And you know, yeah, be together on the microphone. So. You know the shtick by now, listeners. We have uh, food every week, and this season we've been looking at breakfast because breakfast is always great, and everybody loves breakfast, even though we had one guest, I feel like, this season that said, I'm not a big breakfast guy. Was that Crispin? Crispin Mayfield? I think it was, yeah. I was like, oh, it was kind of a low point. Uh, But anyway, we know that most people are (laughs) breakfast people, and we loved our conversation with Crispin, of course. And uh, in our last episode, we talked to Jerry Sitzer, and he gave us a recipe for their uh, their family smoothie, and it sounded amazing. And uh, we, we kind of pledged ourselves to get, getting smoothies this time. So Ted has picked up a couple of smoothies. What's this all about, Ted? Yeah, so it's from Paradise Juice, which is a great smoothie juice place at uh, Tatum and Shea, kind of in the Paradise Valley area. It's been there for 20-something years, and just great smoothie. And so I thought, hey, if we're doing smoothies, 
let's do Paradise Juice. You know, if you're a business in Paradise Valley, I feel like na- <laughs> naming is, you, you've already got the name of your business. Like in the, putting Paradise before anything makes it seem uh, pretty much the next level. So, you know, good for them. 20, 20 plus years of making smoothies in Paradise. There you go. <laughs> so we're going to drink our smoothies and then we'll come back and f- share our final thoughts on this season of The Church is Dying or Is It? And we'll give some final kind of discussion of that. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us on the Taste and Seed podcast, a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. Our vision for the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona is to create space for leaders and learners to grow in deeping intimacy with God. Check out sfsaz.org for more information and resources and consider joining us at an upcoming event. Now back to the podcast. Oh yeah, smoothie. I, it was a smoothie. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was solid. I don't know if it was Jerry Sitzer level from his house, but it was a great smoothie. Yeah. I think we need to have see if we can get one of those yeah, Jerry Sitzer smoothies Jerry. next time we're up in his neck of the woods. We'll go knock on his door. So I totally trusted Ted to get me uh, whatever he wanted to get me, and he he thought I needed a little acai uh, or. What is it? What did you say? Antioxidant. It was the antioxidant yeah. smoothie. Smoothie. Yeah. So there was some berries. There was some, it was a reddish, you know, purplish kind of smoothie. So you can imagine blueberries and strawberries maybe and deli- some yogurt. I, I tasted in there. Deliciousness. Yeah. yeah. My, mine was called Mango Fitness because I like mango and I probably need to get a little more fit. So man, go fitness. <laughs> yeah. That's good motivation. Okay, as we kind of land this plane, and I'm uh, just kind of excited to hear from you, brother, about where it started and then kind of where it, where it went from there. This was one of your ideas to have this season um, about death and renewal, and kind of take us back to to one of the what was really driving some of that concern and that desire, and kind of how you see it now after we've spent. Eight conversations about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I think as you just, as we look around and experience it, clearly um, there's things happening in the church. A lot of change, a lot of disorientation is probably a really good way to mm-hmm. say it. And and so at some point I'd come across this article from Chuck DeGroat, who was, uh, of course, you know, a guest on our podcast last season, then came and spoke at our conference this year. And you wrote an article uh, called Trust the Process, Stewarding the Death of the American Church. And in that, he uh, cited that 20 years ago, someone had made the comment that the church is dying. And, and so as he interacted with that, it just it's made me start thinking about, okay, if the church is dying, what does that mean? Or is it even true? And so I think it was from all that um, having a love for the church, a love for pastors and people who lead and serve and attend churches, I thought this would be a good conversation. It really does kind of beg the question of what that death means, right? And I feel like that's we've really had space to consider that over these conversations. Um, and without exception, everybody 
you know, was largely looking towards the resurrection side, right, of things as we talked. Um, it's kind of a beautiful thing because they all expected Jesus's words to be true about the, the church being triumphant and the gates of hell not prevailing against it. And so um, what really came from that was when, the church, when we say the church is dying, I think what emerged was, well, some things need to die, right? That's kind of the theme throughout a lot of our conversations. There are aspects of our life with God that uh, have both a seasonality, just kind of personally, but also institutionally. Um, there are cultural things that expose weaknesses in the church that then, you know, we have the, the benefit of being able to step back and say, well, God's still on the throne. So yeah, we'll let some of these cultural things die. So maybe, you know, what are those things that, that need to die? We all kind of acknowledge death is part of, you know, that's part of the gospel, the dying Christ before the resurrection. And, and that, that's not just a, a theological idea. That is, that's a process that Jesus says will happen to us, right? The seed, unless it dies, it can't bear much fruit, right? It can't, it can't grow into the plant. So what are those things that, that have to die or need to die? Yeah, and, and, and I think in some ways, Gray, it, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it probably depends right. you know, on, on the particular church and the way a certain community or communities have been living out uh, the gospel together. Um, and I think when Jerry Sitzer was talking to us about the difference between Christendom and Christianity, that was really helpful mm -hmm. in, in terms of thinking about there are uh, kind of trappings that have developed over time around Christianity because Christianity had been in a place of privilege and power in a lot of ways. Um, and it's a lot of those kind of things that are dying. And, and I guess part of what I came away with and being reminded of was the church can't die, not the church in its essence as the body of Christ, but the things and ways we've experienced um, uh, the living out of our life in Christ and the trappings, the environments, the contexts, some of those things are dying. Uh, some of those things are out, have outlived their usefulness. And, and I think one of the challenges is as part of what Chuck was getting at is stewarding the process of letting things die that need to die mm. um, so that we can pay attention to the things that are truly core that won't die and then to notice what will be resurrected, mm. what will um, replace these things that are necessarily dying. I think you're absolutely right. We're going to have to look at our lives, our institutions, and go through that process I think there's some things that we could say, big picture, that the, the church in America, for instance, which most of our audience has struggled with. I was actually, I just came across a quote this morning, um, randomly, seemingly, uh, from uh, Mako Fujimura, Fujimura. And um, he said that, you know, one of the things that's really kind of been at the core of the church is the influence from the Industrial Revolution and this, this kind of bottom line efficiency kind of model, right? <laughs> Which is what we get the workplace, the workforce going into the factories and efficiency and outcomes kind of thinking. And um, I am not 
criticizing that as someone above it. I'm, I'm part of that, right? I, this is, this was my training. This is my personality to optimize, to, you know, make things very efficient and to make things kind of, uh, well, we talked about it from the very first episode up and to the right, right? Like this is kind of the feeling like the church should progress in visible ways. But of course, when we read the new Testament, you know, Jesus gives us different pictures than what we have, than, than a market graph. You know, he says the kingdom of God, it's like a, it's like a um, mustard seed plant. You know, it begins as the smallest thing, the smallest of all seeds, and then it grows into the largest of all plants. You know, but it's, he talks about the leaven, right? The, the, the spreading of the, of the leaven throughout the dough, and it's imperceptible, but, but it's kind of moving throughout. And these pictures are different than our, Kind of bottom line efficiency and so i think one of the things i've been struck by is just how exciting it is to think small to think local to think um the person right in front of me these types of things seems much closer to jesus's vision of the kingdom spreading than some of what we've had in recent past yeah and i can't help but think there's a healthiness to that mm-hmm. It's better. A church with 100 people, 150 people in it, where you know everybody's name, you're living life together, um, that seems healthier mm-hmm. than a church of 1,500 where you don't even know half the people. Mm-hmm. And in some ways connects with, you know, for a lot of people starting to try to eat healthy organic food, right? Mm-hmm. Farm to table. You know, you want to know where your food is grown because, um, you know, so much of what we eat, um, has stuff in it that you don't really want to have in your body. I, I, you know, was recently doing some work in, in Spain and, um, Jennifer and I just loved the food. Mm. It it was so good and we felt so good. Mm. And one of the things that occurred to us on the trip was everything we were eating was fresh. Mm. It was all fresh food. There was nothing that came from packages. And I started doing some research and basically discovered that a lot of the food that we eat in the United States is banned in Europe. Right. Like they won't even allow it. Like I was surprised like wheat thins, Skittles, <laughs> milk, chickens. I mean, it's like almost anything. Before going to Spain, Ted thought Skittles were healthy. I thought they were. <laughs> I mean, they were just came from Well, the you farm. know. <laughs> You're tasting well, the rainbow. You believe that message, huh? Come on. Come on. <laughs> Skittles. Skittles. I can't have Skittles anymore because it's going to kill me. So it, it, that just really struck me that um, we felt so much better eating food that was mm. local, that was fresh. And, and I, I just think there's a correlation, a deep mm. correlation there relationally that if I'm in environments all the time where I don't know a lot of the people or whatever, there's something about it that um, it just isn't all that it could be. And something else, thinking at the most local level, we might say the, the smallest way would be an individual life with God, right? Which means the church is, of course, the visible body of Christ. It, it is made up of many members. We're not bashing the, the institutional church as an institution. It is one. But one of, these, one of the things that can emerge from a season of death is finding an individual 
kind of life of God that is not dependent on maybe what uh, certain institutional things are going on, you know, so unhealth, uh, abuses of things, both acknowledge the pain of those things and, you know, if it's something evil to rail against it, of course, but at the same time, you can also turn inward and say, well, this is my life with God and it's not dependent on necessarily the, the machine and whatever the machine is doing. Yeah, I do, I do think there's a shift along the journey for all of us where regardless of what's going on in the church in a particular culture or uh, an individual um, local fellowship, there's a, there's a point in the journey where um, there's a shift to that deeper life of intimacy where we're, we're still called and invited and it seems like it's definitely a part is to be in fellowship with other believers, but it can look very different when you're not needing the church to be a certain thing. And, and that can get into the whole discussion about consumerism and how um, that has definitely been something prevalent in the church that um, is dying and, and needs to die. Um, and, and part of the challenge, I think, for a lot of those in leadership is there's, and, and by leadership, I mean pastors, elders, um, uh, those who are engaged vocationally, is um, uh, sometimes it can really move into keeping a machine running. And there are market forces that, that are felt. Mm-hmm. And how do you navigate that? And... Um, I think those are some of the questions that people are asking. And it's good. It's so good that we're being confronted with those things instead of just continuing on some of those trajectories without reflection or examination. So, Ted, I wanted to ask you, and I've got some thoughts myself, what kind of, as you think about this season, we've had eight conversations, what was surprising to you that you think, hmm, that was just, wasn't expecting that one or uh, that that's remarkable, you know, that, that you've been kind of thinking about. You know, if I, if I, ref, if I think about it, I'm, I might not say it's surprising in, in a, in the sense that I would have never expected that, but kind of delightfully surprising is every guest that we talked to was hopeful. <laughs> Everyone was hopeful and, and we weren't trying to stack the deck or, try to make it to where everyone we talked to was going to have happy, nice answers. Cause we talked about some tough things. We, we walked through some things that weren't fun and happy, but there was hope with everyone. And, um, I, th- I think part of where I saw that was with Jerry Sitzer and, um, he just seemed not worried at all. <laughs> you know, he, he's a church historian and it's almost like you felt like talking to him that he's seen it all and he maybe had some concerns, but very calm mm-hmm. and very much like non-anxious presence, yeah. not worried. Yeah. I'm not worried about this. So I think, um, uh, in a, in a world where we can get anxious about a lot of things and then in the church in particular, where there's a lot of anxiety and disorientation to talk with all these people and to see the calm, to see, uh, the hope was delightful. I thought the exact same thing. I was, that was one of the things I was going to share about it being surprising. It's the same thing. I'll nuance it this way, though, too. 
everybody that we talked to also had this kind of, it showed up in different ways, but this idea that there was a hidden but emerging opportunity. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that, that this death actually was exciting in a way. You know, they, nobody said that's not a direct quote from anyone. But they would talk about, well, these things are dying. And then they would say, that gives us the opportunity to return to a more formational life. Uh, to return to like looking at our bodies or to look at, looking at our, our souls. Or, you know, I'm thinking of Crispin Mayfield's discussion on, on shame and on, um, you know, kind of the things that we carry from childhood. And, and just, you know, death brings opportunities too. There's, a, there's something that emerges from it. And so not just hopeful about the church in general, but actually hopeful about very specific outcomes that they were very excited about, made me excited about what, you know, some of those things emerging as well. Yeah, and you just realize there's there's a lot of people out there doing a lot of good work, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. There really is. And I, I, I think the other thing I'm aware of is... Um, we can we can start to grasp just conceptually, theologically, or whatever this idea of of death, burial, and resurrection. That that is the Jesus pattern. Mm-hmm. That's what he lived and embodied, and what he invites us to. And we can kind of get that. Mm-hmm. But when you're in the middle of dying, it's still disorienting. Even if you know and trust that there's resurrection coming, when you're in the midst of loss. It's hard. And, and I think about when, in the Gospels, when Jesus was dying, when he was being arrested and beaten, all the disciples, except John, right, kind of took off. Sweet, dear Peter, you know, mm-hmm. denying him three times. And, and it's probably helpful for us to realize that in a time of disorientation, a time of loss, a time where things that have meant something to us um, are changing, the temptation is going to be to just take off and say, I just, I can't do this anymore, you know, or, or whatever. And um, uh, I think sometimes when we read the Gospels, we can sort of miss that that's what's going on, or we can almost lampoon it or just sort of um, act like that's not us. Um, but I, I think that's very real. Um, and the end of the story that was important too, right? Which is that those who ran away were welcomed back. Yeah. And so if the disorientation has caused you to find your, yourself not standing with Christ for a time or wondering about that or perhaps feeling like you're so disoriented that you're not even sure it's real anymore, you know, the ends of those stories is great. Uh, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him, Peter says. But then he says, you know I love you, you know I love you, you know I love you. Peter was fully restored, right? And all the disciples were. So God is both above our chaos and you know the disorientation that we're feeling anytime culturally, but also welcomes the return, you know, welcomes us with open arms when the, when we come back as as prodigals or or as just weak hurt individuals you know he welcomes us back so yeah I mean and that's grace right Mm. that's a very picture of grace and that uh, I don't I don't think it's too strong to say um, 
God's not worried about our experience of disorientation. I mean, he's worried in the sense that he cares for us. Yeah. Um, but he's not standing there with arms folded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if, if we are somehow yeah. uh, turned our heart away from him or whatever, arms are always wide open. Yeah. No questions asked. In fact, yeah. you know, the picture of the prodigal son, he basically shuts down the confession and the explanation and says, come on. And probably the prodigal son wasn't even really all that sincere. Mm-hmm. And, and the father says, come on, come on. Well, I was just thinking about what's sticking with me, you know, as, as we go on through finishing up the season, what's kind of going to stay with me. You already mentioned uh, Jerry Sitzer's. I'm going to mention one thing from his as well. If you didn't listen to that podcast, the one right before this, you definitely should. It was wonderful. Jerry had so much to say. But one of the things that's staying with me from that is his um, wondering out loud about whether we need to switch around our evangelism and our formational uh, order. You know, so in the evangelical world and Christendom world, we might say, we are so now accustomed to be saved, be converted, right? And then be formed. Uh, You know, it's a process after that. But he really said, what if, what if we're now in the early church stage again where nobody even knew what sin and death and resurrection fully meant? Some of these building blocks that Christendom has built for us have tumbled. You know, they actually led people through a season of a formation of catechesis that then would result either in people accepting Christ or not. And that's just been, that's been moving the furniture in my brain a little bit, you know, just saying, what does it mean now to invite people in? Do people even understand the story? Do do we know the story? Do we know the the theology, you know, or do we need to show people a piece of who God is, you know, as an invitation, you know, formation in terms of having a life with him, seeing who he is, training people in the Bible, of course, and all those things. And then seeing what emerges from that rather than always expecting people to go through the process that we've seen for the last, you know, thousands of years. So that's, yeah. that stuck with me. Yeah. Well, it's, there's definitely um, the need to rethink, to re-envision <laughs> yeah. um, as we are noticing and watching what what's God is doing in all of this. And I think that's... Again, one of the things that sticks with me is that um, God's at work. God's present. He has not left Mm. the building. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the things that maybe we've associated with God um, are no longer what they were, but those things aren't God. Mm. Um, I think one of the last things I wanted to just throw out there is... um, navigating, walking through our own sense of disorientation with the church um, as we're in the midst of seeing things die, uh, seeing things deconstructed, to use another term. Um, It it seems to me that uh, courage is really needed. And uh, Mm. I want to read this quote from K.J. Ramsey, who wrote a book called The Lord is My Courage. And uh, in it, she talks about some of the things that have happened in the church and one of the things that we really need. 
And she said this. She said, when the church crushes you, Christians expect you to call it human error. When you try to lament your pain, Christians want caveats. It's like we're allergic to honesty. So anxious to keep our precious institutions powerful that we can't stomach the truth that sometimes religion ruptures society and souls. Saying the church doesn't hurt people, people do, is a false comfort that keeps us all from facing our complicity in allowing and enabling the body of Christ to be a body that punches, crushes, and kills. And, and I hear in that the, the, the need for courage uh, to be honest, to be honest both with our own pain uh, and the need to lament and, and honest also about some of the pain that the church um, has been involved with through not uh, nurturing people well at times, um, through trying to hold on to power or privilege or whatever else. And uh, uh, that, that's, that's, a, that's a concept that I want to continue to sit with. It's a reality that I want to continue to sit with is that need uh, to be honest and to have the courage and the trust that um, I don't have to try to keep the church going or keep it looking good or keep it presentable. Um, God is fully capable of um, maintaining and sustaining his church. Yeah, as you say that, it makes me think that though everybody has been hopeful in this season, I don't get the sense that anybody was really ready to push through just to put a bow on something or just to wrap it up nicely. There was this kind of hope is different than, you know, optimism or like, um, you know, a giddiness or something like that. <clears throat> hope includes in itself a kind of disturbance, right? Because this is when we're called to hope, right? Is whenever we're lacking something, facing persecution, facing institutional failure, whatever it may be, hope is this kind of gritty, you know, I'm setting my mind on what's true. It's not, it's not this uh, saccharine sweet feeling of, of I know that everything that I hold precious will be restored to me. And so that's what I hear when I hear that quote. And it's just kind of, I think we're called to hope, right? For yeah. the church, but we're also called to honesty and those two things are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. So I want to I want to end with um, a practice that um, could be helpful in continuing to navigate where we are, where we find ourselves, and the nature of the church, and where where things are at this point. And so I'm going to lead us through that, and then um, uh, perhaps it'd be something that could continue to. Um, uh, guide and encourage you as you go along. And, and the practice is, is, is this, it's noticing death and resurrection. And so when you're aware of something that's dying or something that you're losing or something that's changing, whatever it might be, to, to notice that, to be honest about that, and then to use your holy imagination to say, I wonder 
I wonder what God's doing. I wonder what resurrection might look like. I wonder. So let's just take a moment and we'll just let there be some quiet. But first, just start with noticing something that's dying, a place of loss, whatever that might be for you. Just notice that and sit with it for a moment. Now take a few moments and in your prayer, in your heart, in your reflection, say, I wonder. I wonder what God might be doing. I wonder what resurrection might look like in this scenario. Amen. Ted, it's been an honor. Season four, let's put the cap on it. There we go. We're so excited to have you listening with us, friends, wherever you are. And um, season five will be coming up here. We pray and hope and believe. Uh, in the meantime, there's lots of ways that you can connect with the society, Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona's website is SFSAZ. You'll find retreat info, places where you can go and be still, uh, be with other believers. You'll find spiritual directors that you can connect with so that you have someone to process your story in life with. Um, lots of resources, written resources, audio resources, and um, we'd love for you to go and check those out and avail yourself of all the good things. Yeah, hope to see you something soon. And thanks, Gray. It's been fun. And just as a little teaser, I think season five might be the dessert season. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Sounds good. Until next time, friends. Take care. Bye-bye.